Hi, everyone. It's Matt here. Just dawned on us that uh, we pre-recorded this episode, which is a fantastic one. And uh, before we cut to the introduction and interview with John Friesen, we just wanted to say Jaden Lee's run is tomorrow. October 6th came very quickly. So just some details so everyone can participate. It starts at BC Children's Hospital, October 6th, 3 p.m. Between 3 and 6, there will be a party, a parking lot party. This is at 4500 Oak Street in Vancouver, in case you don't know where BC Children's Hospital is. At 6 p.m., Jaden's starting to run. The best way to follow along, of course, is Jaden's Instagram handle. It's underscore or at underscore Jaden Lee. That's J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E. We're going to be there and uh, we're going to be out in Chilliwack meeting him when he finishes his 100-mile run on uh, Saturday evening. Hope everyone can join and please donate. Again, you can donate at, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram, in the live wire, in the show notes of all our episodes over the last month. We have a link, a secured link, and uh, at Jaden's Instagram as well, underscore Jaden Lee. Thanks again for everyone's support. Hope to see you out there tomorrow. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, we should say host, but also realtors with Oakland Realty in downtown Vancouver. And today we've got a fantastic episode. We've got John Friesen on the show. He's the CEO of Mission Group, a friend of the show, past guest fan favorite, and back in the studio. Back in the studio. Their so first time in the studio. First time in the studio, second time on the show. Of course, John's done stuff in Vancouver, but he is a, a Kelowna-based developer and they've done some of the the most high profile projects in Kelowna and and around the Okanagan as we discussed today. This is a really interesting conversation. Fascinating story. John, you know, mother is Japanese. Right. From I think Osaka, if I remember correctly. I you were going to say Japan. Yeah. From Japan. And yeah, that's where Japanese <laughs> people are from. Uh, and his father is a Mennonite. Uh, right. Mennonite John Canadian. Right. And we we grew up in Winnipeg. There's a freezing on every block. Oh, multiple freezings. Yes, a lot some of froze. <laughs> yeah, some froze, some freezing. Uh, but this was the thing about how interesting John's trajectory is because he was living in, in Japan until he was in his, I think, late teens. Right. It was, well, we'll let him tell the story. But the, the fascinating thing is, I think he came to North America for university. Right. But every three, four years, he'd spend a significant amount of time in Saskatchewan, which uh, <laughs> you've been to Japan, I've not, but I'm thinking- it would be a bit jarring. Uh, there's in terms of, yeah, a bit of a culture shock there, but really, really fascinating kind of story to to get where he's gotten yeah. uh, as heading up Mission Group. And then, well, founding it and heading it up. And, and secondly, this was uh, recorded a few weeks back. Right. And it was kind of when the fires were 
literally like a week past. So we kind of talk a bit, a bit about that as well. Totally. This is a fantastic conversation. Always love having John on the show. What a privilege that we get to speak to people like him. Absolutely. And there's a few things before we get to John, Adam, but, uh, Sounds like you had quite the morning. I haven't even told you this story. I saved it for the intro. This you just was, said, uh, I've had quite the morning. I've had quite the morning. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me set the stage here. I'm leaving to go to work. I, I've, I've got my garage door open. Okay. Um, well, let me actually even back up. I live in an area in East Vancouver where there is some opportunistic crime, I would say, specifically in back alleys. And I'm sitting in my car in my garage, so I'm about to leave. So a couple things you need to know. One is I have an electric car, so it it appears to be off, right? It doesn't. There's no oh, engine running. So if you're no, walking down the back alley, you would think, "Hey, this is this there's, 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 this car is empty." I also have a very small back window, the way my car is, and like I actually so somebody's afterwards. not seeing you in it, the car. Absolutely, yeah. And it looks like the back of uh, my chair is is quite high, so it's like the headrest is really high. So I actually went and looked afterwards, and I was like, "Oh yeah, there's no way that anyone would know I was in the car." So I'm I'm sending an email before I pull out and, and come into the office. And as I'm sending the email, I kind of glance up in the review mirror and I see a guy on a mountain bike driving by, but definitely looking into the garage in kind of a casing kind of manner, like, uh-huh. like what's going on in there. Yeah. And I it just kind of occurred to me, I'm like, I bet this guy is gonna circle back. And I I just I as I was writing the email. I'm watching and I kind of keep my eye open. Anyways, 30 seconds later, the guy's in my garage and I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, okay. And I kind of was ready for it. And I've been, you know, I've really been listening to a lot of podcasts and, and, um, focusing on, uh, on anger management, anger management (laughs) and getting better. So, (laughs) so I opted for the Chris Hansen dateline approach. (laughs) So check this out. So I opened, so I, I opened up the door and in like the calmest voice possible, I said, can I help you? <laughs> and, 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 he say, and he was like, oh, he was totally caught off guard. He's in my garage with yeah. his bike. And I'm like, what are you doing in my garage? Can I help you? Can I take can a seat I, over here? Yeah, take a seat. <laughs> take a seat over here. Totally. The camera crew comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was so He's, he's got a case of my cuts. Hard to eliminate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did. Do you have the fireworks I asked you to pick up on the way? Uh, so here's, here's the thing. He starts backing out with his bike and he's backing out. And then I was like, I should probably get on my phone because one thing I did notice is he had a screwdriver. You started taking his, photos of him. I always do a report just because I'm like, the more you show up on these reports, which on the east side, like, let's be honest, there's a lot of opportunistic crime. And I'm like, okay, just report it just so yeah. the numbers, when they're trying to allocate, you know, dispatch and whatever they do, they know that this is where the crime is happening, whether it's petty or not. But the point is, is that uh, when I did start, I, I it was funny. I was literally just calmly talking to him, but he did expose, he had something that looked like almost like a, a prison shiv. Is it a shiv? It's a shiv. Yeah. 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 And it looked like it, it was like a, and he had it in his hand and I was like, Huh, that kind of left me a little. But anyways, I was like, I'm calling the police, da-da-da-da-da. But it was the best when I was like, hi, can I help you? Like, I just emerged from the car really calm. But, <laughs> but uh, what did he say? He was just, he was like, at all, he was like, at, he was stunned. He was at a loss yeah. for words, right? And what, he just what, said, like, literally, what is he going to say? He's yeah. going to be like, 
Whoops, accident. Well, uh, he he took a wrong he, turn. He was like, I, I wanted to, I, 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 and it was like, I was like, yeah, you, like you were telling me that my car wasn't on or yeah. something. Like, yeah, like yeah. what was good the, Samaritan. yeah, good Samaritan approach. Uh, anyways, yeah, inside my garage. So, so it's been a morning. It's been a morning. It's been a morning. Yeah. And then I talked to the police. They were like, yeah, thanks for calling that in. And we can't do anything unless he takes your head off. <laughs> <laughs> which is like literally you know, like I have photos like, right? like, yeah, we don't yeah, care we don't care, yeah, we yeah. don't care. <laughs> yeah anyways but yeah it was an eventful morning this is a great conversation Matt what else do we have before we cut to this conversation a, a few other things just heard from Jaden Lee of course Jaden Lee is doing a 100 mile run right. uh, from BC Children's Hospital on October 6th back to Chilliwack this is to celebrate his five years cancer free and to give back to the BC Children's Hospital he's trying to raise $150,000 he's really ramping it up and I think usually in these things he's well over $10,000 yeah um, but I think it's like as you get close is well, when I think the big media event outside of what we've been trying to do will be on kind of the run right day, it's like right? the the right up at the final but uh so I was always thinking he was walking out at three and starting running. This is how big this event is becoming. He's walking out at three. He's having a party at BC Children's Hospital. Okay. From three to six. Wow. Media event. Then he's starting running with a police escort the entire 26 hours or however long it's going to take him. 26 hours. 26 hours running. There's going to be an ambulance, police. They're blocking off the route. He's going to have points where people can meet him to run with him at various places. It's it, This is turned into, like, I always knew this was going to be a big event. This is going to be, like, an incredible thing to be a part of. So, of course, you can donate now, get ahead of the curve, and donate now by going to underscore Jaden Lee. That's J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E on Instagram. There's a secure BC Children's Hospital link. You can also go to our Instagram at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast or head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Click on the live wire. We have a button. That's our weekly mailer. There's a, a donate to Jaden's run. And we're happy everybody's supporting. And uh, this is, I'm getting excited. I'm still running. I'm get, I'm still running to get prepared for the run. Right. But uh, I didn't realize there was going to be that party before, which might put a damper on my run. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of party, but uh, it, it, here's 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 the thing. Uh, I think yeah. Well, we're all going to be there. Uh, super excited! If you want to participate, we'd we'd love to see you out there, and of course, Jaden would love the support. And Matt, before we get started, we should talk about this episode. Of course, is sponsored by Scalina Real Estate, and today's featured listing is actually a really exciting one. This is a junior one bed that we have in Yale Town. That's uh, on the market. This is 530 square feet, but the cool thing is this is a warehouse conversion. So it's a 19. I love those. Well, this it's it's uh it's cool because it's like just outside of Yale Town, like outside of all the action, but you're two blocks away from every awesome bar, restaurant, cafe, where you want to be. So it's 530 square feet. Building was built in 1910. It was a warehouse that was converted in 1999. And so it's got like the old growth fur beams, right. uh, exposed beams. It's got 120-year-old brick kind of throughout. Just a beautiful, beautiful space. Really cool. It feels to me like investor, first-time home buyer would really benefit from this. I'm thinking if I was like in my 20s. Or uh, 30s. Or 30s. 
Maybe even forties. Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just thinking if you're like I mean, what a cool spot to to hang out and to uh, to entertain and and you're like I said, you're you're blocked. Well, from the thing the, the thing about it is, you know, for the most part, downtown homes are fairly generic, right? Right, boxes in the sky. This is truly a unique offering. Yeah. So unit 201 at 869 BD Street, the Hooper building. So that's super exciting. And of course, Adam, that is part of our featured listings on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where you can also take advantage of the sold plan, yes. which is the button you hit at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sell with us where you get the sold plan. Our most downloaded document, the sold plan is a step-by-step guide for how to get your property ready for market. This is based on over a decade of selling hundreds of homes. This is what we do to sell homes. It's step-by-step. It's easy. It's evergreen content. Even if you're not selling in the near future, Download it. Download you can the hang document. On it, hang on to it. It'll come in useful at some point. And uh, we always share with industry people as well. So if you're an agent and you want to look at at uh, some of the things, well, here's that we're the thing: offering. it's an immediate download. It's an immediate download. We don't care. We're not even. We're just. We're just. We're seeing them come in. It's great. It's great to see the document go out, and it's going to be improved over time. So yeah, uh, yeah check and, it out. Uh, if you're looking to sell, we'd love to work with you. Absolutely, Matt. And uh, without further ado, our conversation with John Friesen from Mission Group. In studio, John was in Vancouver for a couple of days. We we're so fortunate to get oh, him. Oh, he's kind of got a, a zen-like quality to him. It's right? great hanging out with this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. All right, enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with John Friesen. He is the CEO of Mission Group. How are you doing, John? Doing very well, thank you. And in the studio, all the way from Kelowna, thanks so much uh, for coming in, John. It's great to have you in the studio. My pleasure. And, and John, can you maybe start, you've been on the show now, this is your second time on the program. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, if uh, this were a video, you'd recognize that I'm not uh, a full-blooded um, Caucasian. I'm half Asian, half Japanese. Born and raised in Japan. Uh, my dad was a German Mennonite from Saskatchewan, good old farming stock. Um, my grandparents uh, received a homestead from the Canadian government way back when, and my dad was raised on that farm. Early on, uh, right after World War II, he decided to go to Japan as a missionary, a Protestant missionary. And uh, there he met my mother, 
They were probably rebels in their day uh, because in those days you were supposed to, uh, you know, proselytize them, not marry them. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, uh, and my mother's family as well, a very traditional family originally out of Kyoto. They felt that, uh, that, you know, Western boys were a little uncouth maybe. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I'm trying to pick my words carefully. Uh, but so they were uh, rebellious. Although when you, you know, growing up with them, I can hardly imagine them being rebels. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, uh, they were married there and had three kids. I was the first one. So growing up, going to Japanese school uh, on the west coast of Japan in a little uh, town called Kanazawa, it was basically a fishing and shipbuilding village, village at the time. So that's my background. Went to high school in Tokyo, ended up going to university in Los Angeles, got my first job with a Japanese trading company in Vancouver, 200 Granville, Mitsubishi Corporation, which was a very, very positive experience for me and kind of got me understanding what scale looks like and, uh, and what good management and maybe bad management looks like. So uh, that's, that's kind of my background in a nutshell. So I guess you, you went to, you lived in Japan right up until high school. That's right. And I, I just wonder, what, do you remember your first impressions of, of coming to North America? And, and I mean, for me, when I go to, I've, we've been to Japan a few times and mm -hmm. it's quite a contrast between the two countries. Yeah, it was, uh, well, so we were coming and going. Uh, so uh, throughout, while we were growing up, we typically stayed in Japan for five years and then we spend a year in, in Saskatchewan? In Saskatchewan. No kidding. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of culture shock. <laughs> yeah. But growing up, you know, kids are re resilient, right? When, you, when you're growing up with two languages, two sets of cultures, two sets of parents, and uh, two settings, you get used to both of them. And uh, neither of them seemed all that strange or odd. But the differences are absolutely stark, uh, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I couldn't believe the size of the sky. And in, you know, what we call Canada, but it was really Saskatchewan. And I think most folks from BC, if they went there, would think the same thing. The sky is so huge. And um, my dad left me with this image that Canada was this uh, utopia where everybody was fair, everybody was kind, and so on. I remember driving down the highway towards a little town called Osler, north of Saskatoon. Uh, and somebody had pulled over on the side of the ditch uh, because their car had presumably broken down. The next day we rode the same highway and all the windows were broken uh, and it had apparently been vandalized. And I remember how disappointed I was that people would do that in a place like Canada. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the reality is that could happen in Japan too, right, Ben? Right. Yeah. Canada is, uh, is still an amazing, amazing place and remains that way today. And did you, I'm just wondering in terms of, so you went to university uh, in North America, found a job here with Mitsubishi. Was there a moment where you thought, because we'll get to starting your own development company, but I should be working in Japan or was it always, was Canada always the, the spot? I certainly considered it and uh, thought that because I'm bilingual and bicultural, that uh, getting a job in Japan or getting a job uh, in North America would still have to straddle both cultures. And, uh, and, and starting a career in Japan was an opportunity that I had. Uh, when I turned 21, uh, the Japanese government forced all of us who had, um, that were bicultural to choose. Like I could have chosen to become a Japanese citizen or a Canadian. And, um, you know, we, we talked about it for a long time and I, I was more familiar with Japan at the time, but I thought there'd be more opportunity as a Canadian because, a, you know, Japan's economy was and is mature. So the opportunities for growth, I believe, are less than they are in Canada. Hmm. 
And so you're at Mitsubishi and, and you transition into real estate. Can you talk about why real estate and how you got your start? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why would you quit lifetime employment like Mitsubishi can offer with that kind of stability? And I think the truth is that there has always been this desire to, you know, fail or succeed on your own terms, at least for me. And that entrepreneurial risk-taking part of who I am kind of came out during those first few years at Mitsubishi. And though I truly appreciate the background uh, that Mitsubishi gave me, I felt that a little bit of independence uh, is what I'm looking for. And the other part of it was that uh, being half Japanese didn't give me any advantages in terms of career advancement to the top. I remember a university professor uh, telling me that uh, if you don't at least have the opportunity to run the company, quit. And um, that's good advice. Doesn't mean I will run the company or I should run the company, but if I don't have the opportunity, then there's, you know, maybe that's not for you. And uh, some folks probably wouldn't care because to, to actually be the CEO or president of a company like Mitsubishi is extremely unlikely for anybody. Right. But it, I didn't feel at the time, and it could be very different today, but at the time, I didn't feel I had the opportunity because of my cultural background. Uh, and even if I was full-blooded Japanese, the fact that I didn't join the company in Tokyo would have been a disadvantage. I've never actually, I feel like I've never heard that advice, but that's actually great advice, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it kind of puts things into perspective. I mean, presumably, you have to be pretty ambitious to be thinking like that when you're young, but... Uh, that's great advice. So, and then what sparked an interest in real estate from there? So one of the first uh, things I did after I uh, resigned from uh, Mitsubishi was to form uh, an, an import-export trade consulting company. That's kind of what I knew. And oddly enough, uh, one of the first clients I was able to get that put me on a retainer was interested in forming a consortium of relationships with the Japanese companies in order to develop uh, real estate in Canada. So I started helping with this and got some insight into how the industry worked and uh, developed some uh, relationships with Japanese companies that were wanting to do business here. So once that uh, engagement was over, I continued on these relationships and that gave me the opportunity to form a company here. So uh, a certain gentleman out of Japan who, who had a very successful development organization in Japan said, well, why don't you be our guy in Canada? I'll be your equity and you can be boots on the ground and executing this. And, uh, and so that's how I got started. Totally aside, what, what year was, was this all taking place? This uh, would have been in 1986, 87. So I'm just thinking, have you read Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight? No. Okay, because it's a Nike okay. story. Oh, right, I heard about it. But he goes to Japan. That's his, a, a big part of his backstory is trying to look for manufacturers to put shoes together mm -hmm. and the he was so enamored with the manufacturing process in japan but a lot of that story is the early days is going to japan you know the cultural kind of faux pas he makes and mm -hmm. but it just makes me think you were kind of straddling these two worlds that he kind of outlines pretty clearly in that book which is a great book total aside <laughs> <laughs> and so we we're we're now um you're You've got the money, basically the, you're being, um, the, the money is in Japan, your, your boots on the ground here. Where are you developing or where are you, where, where are you transacting primarily? Yeah, so those, in those days, our, uh, our, our, our appetite for um, grandiose aspirations were probably well beyond our capability to execute, but it was fun. Um, the main person there was a real visionary, a real dreamer. 
So we started um, working in the South Pacific to uh, build these huge integrated resorts uh, with, you know, starting with a runway that a 747 could land in that at that scale. So those kinds of investments were happening um, out of Japan. And uh, in Vancouver, it was a smaller scale, but still significant. Uh, the, the one project that still remains is uh, 1000 Beach Avenue. So that was uh, bought out, acquired out of a local developer that, was, that had already started some work there. We finished off the entitlements and built it out and sold it together. Right. I remember that. So I think everybody in this, I remember this asking you this last time, uh, because, you know, I think I was looking at your, your bio, like you're truly a global citizen. Kelowna, I feel like is, is becoming much more cosmopolitan. It was kind of striking the last time I was there, how much it's changed, but how did you end up in Kelowna? Why Kelowna? So we, uh, I did a mid, mid career retirement, sold out of uh, a company and moved there when I was in, uh, well, was, I, t- I turned 40 when we were in uh, living on Grand Cayman. Earlier than that, I had, uh, you know, probably not been the greatest dad or husband as far as that goes because of the traveling. And, you know, I was in Tokyo, uh, the South Pacific, and then back home to Vancouver where we were living at the time. And j- I just wasn't spending enough time with my two little toddler boys and my family and, uh, and just could see that uh, the more important things in life, like your family, are being put on the back bench. So I took some drastic action after discussing this with my wife uh, and we uh, sold out of the company and uh, moved everybody to Grand Cayman. And, um, and so after living on the island for uh, six years, um, we decided that we need to move back to Canada because living on a tiny little, you know, 78 square mile island uh, might not be the best way to turn my kids into more global citizens, which we were hoping they would be. Uh, you know, they were already speaking with a local Caymanian accent. <laughs> All their friends are Caymanian. And it, it was really a wonderful place to uh, to raise a young family. But we decided let's move back to BC. But then after uh, evaluating various things, uh, for instance, my wife's uh, parents were living in Kelowna. So we were, uh, we were uh, spending a lot of, a lot of uh, weeks in Kelowna during the summertime. So we got an insight into the community and thought this would be uh, a really good place to continue raising our families without having to uh, come back to a larger uh, kind of a, a metropolitan area like Vancouver. We'd, we'd gotten used to the small community. And, and so you're, so, and I, I just, cause there seems to be your, you've got your family, you're focusing on your young family, you're, you're raising them in Kelowna mm-hmm. and then you get an itch to start developing again. Well, the moment we moved back, I started a development company. Okay. So, one of the um, you know other reasons why we moved back to Kelowna is because I was out of money, and I needed to start another enterprise. So, which it was an exciting place to work at the time, but Kelowna was wasn't at all. This, so this is two thousand and one, two thousand one, two thousand two. So um, a very different Kelowna, where I think even the local uh, folks in Kelowna didn't really believe in the potential of that little town. But I could see it happening, uh, you know, in, from our estimation, it had one of the best balances of, uh, of kind of quality of life. International airport, uh, we had heard that there was a university coming. It's, it's, it's fully burdened now. Mm-hmm. And so um, in terms of a place that had uh, really good upside, we, we, we believe Kelowna was it. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it turned out th- that way and maybe even beyond expectations. Right. And just uh, one more kind of, uh, life story question because it's a it's obviously a really interesting story. When you were on Grand Cayman 
you were there six years. So you, you basically, it was the mid, uh, a kind of mid forties retirement yeah. and then rebooting into starting, starting mission group. Like how, how was that transition was because that's, that's a while to be in the, in the wilderness. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to say I was burnt out when we moved there and just, uh, just kind of running a bit ragged and out of control. And being able to recenter on what's important to you, your family, and uh, and other sort of uh, you know core values, will set up a business person to be a more stable, long-term thinking, responsible business person. And so that was the opportunity that I had, and I was fortunate enough to be able to capitalize on it. So rebooting into a business owner again was, uh, I think, much easier and uh, you can approach it with much more confidence than you than you would as a young person doing it the first time through. Having the background of developing in, you know, urban centers and, and on very complicated projects, did you find developing in Kelowna initially to be an easier venture or was there challenges along the way? Can you talk about kind of the early years? We've always found Kelowna to be, you know, extremely conciliatory. City council and staff there have always been helpful. They weren't trying to repel development. And, and even now working in Kelowna and getting projects entitled is much more simple than it is in Vancouver, for instance. It's funny because I'm trying to think we've had conversations in the past where it seems like Kelowna's, you know, a very different place in Vancouver, but they look to Vancouver, I think, presumably taking some positives, but also some negatives, right? Like, okay, this is in terms of uh, slow development process and kind of red tape and things like that. It seems like Kelowna's kind of seen the writing on the wall and and seems to be kind of much more easy to deal with in in my perspective. I would very much agree with that. We were having uh, lunch yesterday with um, with a premier Vancouver developer and um, and who is working in Kelowna as well. And he was commenting about that difference, you know, the the stark difference between how developers uh, is received at Vancouver City Hall and compared to Kelowna City Hall. Now, Kelowna is um, cooperative and reasonable. I even think about, um, we've had some folks from the, from the city of Kelowna on uh, the show and even thinking about like the way they're, they've been approaching gentle density mm-hmm. is in some cases more advanced um, than, than parts of the lower mainland, which was surprising to us. So yeah, kudos to, uh, kudos to the city of Kelowna yeah, for sure. Agree. Maybe switching gears a little bit, John, can we talk about the market right now? How, how's the market and have you been surprised by 2023? So the market right now, is weird. Um, it's uh, it's got pockets of brightness and uh, and pockets that are not so much. Although overall, I will say that uh, the recent fires have put a damper on the market. So if you asked uh, a Kelowna realtor what's it like out there in the last two weeks, they would probably say it's crickets. Right. But I remember this happening in 2003, where there was a, I would say an arguably worse fire, where the Okanagan Mountain Park fire burnt all summer long. And so, you know, the, the market is, uh, got very, very short memory. Uh, and, and Kelowna itself, like the, the city of Kelowna was virtually untouched by the fire. There was a handful of homes, I think something like uh, five homes that, that were destroyed or damaged in Kelowna proper. West Kelowna is another story. Um, what happened over there was devastating, but that's on the other side of the lake. And uh, really, our hearts go out to those uh, those folks over there. And we've had a couple of staff members that have been affected by this as well. 
But in terms of Kelowna itself, if you drove through the city, you'd never know there was a fire. Our subdivision where we lived is uh, was probably 200 meters from where the fire jumped the lake. Mm-hmm. But you'd still never know that there was a fire by looking around on the hillside above us. The trees are all fine and the homes are all fine. So I think, uh, you know, <laughs> kudos to the firefighters. They've gotten very, very good at fighting forest fires compared to, I think, where things were in 2003. But these kinds of um, situations, oddly enough, always seem to create a bounce afterwards. Um, so uh, if you drew a straight line on the absorption that would have happened in a market, and you removed the section that didn't happen because of a calamity like a forest fire or even COVID, you can pretty much count on the part that got lost being tacked onto what would have been there anyway in the future. Um, so I think we saw that effect in COVID. And there's uh, several studies out there that are looking at various things like earthquakes and fires and, and so on, where that almost always creates a real estate pop right afterwards. So that's what I'm anticipating. So maybe just to talk a little bit more about the, you know, the the recent forest fires, it strikes me as when you're talking about 2003, and I wasn't thinking too much about, um, I, I can't even recall uh, the the fire in 2003, but but the narrative around these fires, as far as I can tell, is you know it's progressively getting worse, right? Like this is the, almost a new normal. Is that kind of your impression of what's going on? Or is it, hey, 2003 was bad. You know, there might've been a really bad year in 1976. You know, it's, we're probably, we're going to see other bad years because it's BC and we're surrounded by forest. Or is there, or is there some sort of more troubling narrative that seems to be kind of the, the, the global warming, you know, media story? Yeah, I'm sure that I'm the wrong guy to ask when it comes to forest fires in the future and uh, and global warming. I think that global warming is obviously real. Uh, I can see it happening right, just anecdotally in my own life. And if that translates to more forest fires, then then I suppose that's something we should all be concerned about. In terms of uh, how that affects Kelowna itself, I think that, you know, for instance, uh, the subdivision I live in was a mission group development. And uh, we were required to do uh, what they call forest fire mitigation, where the smaller trees in the underbrush are all removed because it's going to be homes that will be built there. So the trees, the, the signature trees all stay up, mm-hmm. but the, the small uh, rough underbrush stuff gets removed in order to discourage forest fires. And I think that uh, as uh, communities go in, especially subdivisions where they're still kind of in, in, in the bush, if you want to call it that, the forest fire mitigation tactics need to be improved. People who have, uh, especially single family homes that are more exposed than, uh, you know, urban, say urban infill projects, have to uh, be aware of how their landscaping will perform in a fire situation. So there's lots of work around that. I think that uh, that will be learned. It needs to happen. As far as uh, how often, you know, a big fire event like this will happen, I think it's unlikely that West Kelowna will see another fire event like this, if only because the fuel is all gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's that seemed to have been, been the case with the Okanagan Mountain Park fire as well. If you go up there right now, the new growth is amazing, but it's only 20 years old. So it's coming up like crazy. It's just beautiful again. And that's that's how forests regenerate. They need the old, old stock to go away and provide uh, fertilizer for the new to come in. And, uh, and the, the misfortune are the, uh, are the homes that are in the way of that. So 
Uh, unfortunately, I think forest fires will continue to be a reality in, uh, in probably most parts of British Columbia and Canada because, uh, because of how our natural surroundings are. Yeah, and, and clearly, I guess these these cities are not going away, but the mitigation tactics are will need better. to improve and yeah. are improving. That's well, right. it sounds like even in the last 20 years, at least my impression of what you just said, is, is the risk mitigation has really become much more sophisticated. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, uh, and when we're talking about, you know, this is a Vancouver real estate podcast, but a lot of what you talk about is high-density living for condos. Uh, for instance, when we were evacuated for almost a week, we lived in our son's condo uh, that uh, all of his Airbnb traffic disappeared. So that was at Brooklyn. Uh, so my wife and I hung out in Brooklyn for a week. And, and by the time we left there, we were sort of, we were having a conversation. What have we learned from this experience? And one of them is we don't need a monstrous concrete house <laughs> <laughs> in the suburbs. And, you know, this is a 600 square foot one bedroom den. And it's, it's wonderful. It's convenient. And it's, it's just so comfortable that we weren't, we were under no hardship at all. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the lower mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. It makes you wonder, because I mean, obviously one of the big concerns, um, you know, for clients of ours that have bought in Kelowna and bought condos in Kelowna over the years, the concern around completion on pre-sale is often the insurance component, right? If there, if it's close to a fire, is that something that you take into consideration as a development company is, is having insurance, being able to insure property in place on when you're planning on completing? I've never heard that as a concern of any customer. Wow. Are you, are you saying that they might not be able to get insurance on their completed home? If it's related to, if it's in and around the time of a, oh, a I fire see, I in see. proximity. Yeah, that could very well be. Uh, fortunately, there were no condos competing, completing um, I right think from any developer during this time. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. right. You know, I, I'd just like to go back to the market in terms of, so it's weird market. Last couple of weeks have been slow. Yeah. And maybe thinking more about our interest rate and environment, mm -hmm. um, can we talk sort of more broadly about how the last year, 18 months has impacted the Kelowna market? Sure. So we track uh, market statistics, but we're also in the market all the time, talking to our customers and receiving registrations and so on. And um, so what we consider to be a balanced market is probably the same here. 
But if somewhere between 18 and 22% of the total inventory sells in any given month, we call that a balanced market Mm -hmm. where prices don't tend to go up or down. And uh, when the interest rates first started to peak, there was a a severe drop in uh, in the balance of the market and it went below 18%. Since then, it's popped right back and it's it's sort of been right in the middle between 18 and 22. For a couple of months, it was above 22. So it would have been arguably a seller's market, but not by much. And uh, the overall market right now is is nicely balanced in Kelowna, uh, with the exception of this last couple of weeks. And and as I said previously, I believe that what was lost there will just get tacked tacked on, you know, in a, in a few weeks from now. And um, but in our Aqua product, our Aqua project, which is a four hundred or three hundred and uh, sorry, four hundred and fifteen units in that project, uh, three different towers, a big boat storage building. Uh, we have uh, some remaining inventory that will not close for more than two years. It's still fully in it because we just poured the raft slabs uh, for those two towers, so the parquet isn't even up yet. And um, and the the sales center, we've put, been putting virtually no effort into selling those. We have um, something like 90 homes left in the project, so we think that we the prices will definitely go up, so we're in no rush to sell them. Mm-hmm. But when somebody comes in and says, I definitely have to have one, we'll we'll sell that home. The sales office is still there, but it's closed. You can access it through appointment only. And regularly, uh, those homes have been moving. We don't discount or incent anything. And so there's still a very solid demand for people who know exactly what they want. And uh, I think the last home they sold, we sold was uh, 3.95 million. So that's a condo uh, in Kelowna. That's uh, sold as a result of virtually no marketing effort at all. So there are there are sweet spots, call them hot spots. Yeah, uh, if the product is right, and so that's I think that's probably something you see here too. If it's the right product in the right place, the customer is is does not interested in trying to hit that uh, that sweet you know that that bottom line deal. Right. But uh, there are other parts I would say that uh, maybe aren't quite so brilliant, and so that's that's part of the reason why we're kind of interested in in uh, in the result of this Alma launch. Mm-hmm which uh, we're, we're very excited about. Just just thinking about that, so one of the difference between Aqua or the remaining, presumably the remaining product at yeah. Aqua and and Alma, which we'll, we'll uh, yeah, we're excited to talk about, is totally different type of product, yes. right? Like one thing that strikes me about Kelowna that, that is presumably changing, but historically was kind of, uh, you know, retirees, people from Alberta, but probably not as interest rate sensitive in a lot of cases as as your regular first time home buyers. Is that still? I'm not even sure if that's ever been actually correct. This is just something I'm thinking of. Is that does that characterize the market in any way, or is it too diverse now? Where you know it's not it, that that's not a factor. Yeah, there certainly is a contingent of what you just mentioned. You know, the retiree that's not interest rate sensitive. Um, but we also have another kind of buyer, and that's uh, that's the independently wealthy. Uh, probably a business owner from Vancouver or from somewhere in Alberta that knows what they want and they buy it when they want to buy it and are not that interest rate sensitive as well. Mm-hmm. But the uh, largest kind of uh, in-migration demographic is a working professional with uh, with young kids uh, into Kelowna right now. Those are the people that we are uh, we are hiring in our organization and many others around Kelowna. So um, so with with that group coming into Kelowna, that's uh, where the demand is, and those folks. Uh, are interest rate sensitive. John, we talk a lot on our show about um, 
limits to supply in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Does Kelowna suffer from, from low inventory? I think we suffer even more so. Kelowna is the fastest growing community uh, in Canada. And we uh, simply as an industry cannot supply enough homes to satisfy the demand. And so one might ask, uh, you know, why is there a lull in the market? Why is it being affected by interest rates? You know, the Kelowna's market right now is, uh, is much softer than it has been uh, previously. But we are seeing this, you know, an adage I often use is, you know, there's a pool. Everybody wants to jump in. The edge of the pool is completely lined with people, but they're waiting for the first person to jump. And once that happens, they're all, they're all going in. But once that happens, it might be a little bit too late unless you're really within that first five or 10 people that jump. Right. But the other 500 that come right after you, it's, it's, it's almost too late because now they're competing. And uh, that's where I think Cologne is right now, uh, whether it be the interest rates that held us off or the fires that held us off or the, you know, the general uh, economic outlook that a lot of folks were wondering if we'd be going into a recession or not. I think the the most important thing is how many homes are there and how many people want them. And the people that want them far outnumber the number of homes we have. So that that should tell us what is going to happen into the future. And and, and we believe it wholeheartedly. We we see our our kind of our duty as developers, in fact, is to try to provide as many homes as we can uh, that the uh, the city will allow us to and you know where finances will allow us to and where the community will allow us to. And if we can do that, the housing situation will be much better for folks who are just looking for a place to live. And and so if I understand, the Mission Group is kind of full steam ahead at this point. Yes, we are. And, and so the next, so so the project Alma, so it's Alma on Abbott, Correct. right? So before we press play, you were saying it's a kind of a canary in the in the coal mine of oh, the, the Kelowna. The Kelowna market, or maybe yeah. I'm putting words in your mouth. Can you talk about kind of how you're seeing Alma and Abbott? And then, and then obviously we'd be curious to hear about the project. So we had the opportunity to uh, launch uh, other projects that are more kind of high-rise, multi-use, larger projects. But uh, Alma is unique in a different way than Aqua that we were previously talking about. But uh, I'm sure you know, or you've been down Abbott. Abbott Street in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this beautiful meandering street with large deciduous trees and uh, it's kind of historical signature homes mixed together with uh, beautiful contemporary builds. And it's a very wide bicycle path separately from the road itself, from Abbott. And uh, it's one of my favorite places to actually cycle. Uh, it's it's gorgeous. And, and for people from Vancouver that maybe don't spend a lot in uh, time in, in Kelowna, it's almost like a point gray type Has area. that feel to it. Yeah. yeah. And so we're on Abbott Street, further to the south, and uh, directly across from Abbott uh, Street is uh, Pendleton Waterfront Park. And if you turn left, it, you know, our Alma is on the corner of Abbott and Cedar. If you turned left on Abbott, if you were heading south, and one block away, now you're in Pandozi Village with, you know, little quaint shops and restaurants and so on. It's just, it's just a charming little place. And Mission Group's history has always been in wood frame condos and apartments. And we haven't built one of those for a while. And so getting to build in wood frame, at the same time, bringing in some of the lessons we've learned from, from building high rise uh, has been interesting. For instance, um, as we were mentioning previously, uh, before you pushed play, we're talking about one of the main objections to wood frame is being sound attenuation. Mm-hmm. 
So we're building a very, very special floor after bringing in some uh, really high-end acoustical uh, advice engineering companies. And so we think that we can overcome that objection by building a very interesting floor assembly that, uh, that we haven't tried before, but it's been proven out in other parts of the world. Uh, also, the finishes on the interior are, um, are high-end and, um, and they're, they're befitting of the location and, um, and the setting. It's, um, it's, it's a quaint small building. Some folks maybe prefer not to always live in that huge high-rise community. So it's, uh, uh, there's a lot of, of uh, two and three bedroom homes. Uh, well over half of our, of our uh, inventory is two and three bedroom condos. Uh, where if we we're in downtown, the average size would be much smaller. We'd be in, you know, one bedrooms, one bedroom dens, studios, mm -hmm. and uh, small little two bedrooms. So this is a different, this sounds like more of an end user product yes. um, for somebody that's maybe downsizing or, or coming to Kelowna, but still wants amenities, lifestyle. Correct. Yeah. And living on more of a traditional residential street. It would be interesting to see. And it's kind of a two, two and a half year timeline on it. Uh, once we start construction, uh, we believe we'll have it built in about 20 months, but uh, we'll be launching this uh, late, late summer in September. Uh, the uh, preview work is already starting. Uh, registrations are coming in, uh, you know, well ahead of what we'd anticipated. Hmm. And we'll uh, start construction uh, either late fall this year or uh, early spring. Do you have a sense of starting prices? Yeah, um, we'll be uh, starting with our uh, one bedrooms uh, in the uh, studios in the threes. One bedrooms uh, starting in the fives. The uh, two bedrooms are kind of in the uh, mid sixes. And uh, we have some larger three bedrooms and three bedroom townhomes that will be uh, kind of in the million to million plus range. Okay, so there's actually a, a quite a quite a large mix of unit sizes then. Yes. Yep. Okay. And how many units in the building? There are 84. 84 units. Yep. Okay. So it's still fairly boutique, but... Yeah, it's small. So maybe, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, we were talking, again, going back to before we, we hit record here, where else in the interior mission group's excited about? But one thing you mentioned is you kind of uh, outlined the parameters for your strategic vision. I was just thinking, I'd love to get to where you're excited about uh, outside of Kelowna. But first, can you talk about the process of outlining a strategic vision and, okay. and what goes into <laughs> what goes into that? That's interesting. Um, so we've had uh, several permutations of our strategic plan. Uh, our current one was solidified in 2020 uh, with the help of uh, Deloitte, uh, good good corporate friends of ours, and so. You know, the first thing is we establish our winning aspiration uh, as an organization. So this is a bit of strategic plan coaching, I guess, if you want to call it that. And uh, deciding where do you want to go as an organization and then picking the lowest hanging fruit of, uh, of achievable items that you can put into that basket and to build out your strategic plan so that, so that your, uh, your goal, your 10-year goal is uh, likely to be achieved in steps so we decide not only how we want to approach a business, but what types of business we want to approach in real estate, of course, all in the context of real estate. And so for uh, our vision, we, um, you know, we want to, you know, our, our strength is in, our, in, in being vertically integrated. So we do everything from uh, acquisition of those lands, forming the partnerships, getting the entitlement, doing all the design development, 
uh, working through the entire uh, pre-construction, construction, and then customer care. And if we were to continue owning that building, then we will do the property management internally as well. So we want to control all of the touch points with a customer so that um, so that we can end up with a more predictable uh, product and serve our customers at a higher level. I would say the downside to that is that we'll do our uh, best work when it's very close to where we are operating. And if we wanted to replicate that type of work, uh, say, in, in municipalities that are further away, we are disadvantaged because to put that full team into that community becomes more and more difficult the further out you go. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, it kind of starts with that, uh, that ultimate uh, winning aspiration and how that is most likely to be achieved. And then what areas, uh, you know, where will we play? That's one of the questions. And, uh, you know, for us, where will we play? Is it okay if I talk about that too? Yeah, yeah please. Uh, where will we play is a kind of starts as far north as Vernon, as far south as Penticton, and as far east as Kamloops. But the epicenter is certainly Kelowna. Um, it's, it's, it's got the most opportunities. Construction costs are the same in all of those locations, but um, absorption and prices are better uh, for, um, for, for a developer in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really excited right now about Penticton as well. We just closed on a piece of uh, property in uh, Penticton. It'll be our second project. Uh, this will be a purpose-built rental uh, complex. It'll be two different buildings, we think, with about 200 units there. So Penticton is, um, has a city hall that's really accepting and open. They do have a housing, housing shortage that is quite profound. Did I say storage? Shortage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is quite profound, and uh, and they seem uh, they're really nice. They're very very cooperative. I'd I'd encourage uh, any other developers that are listening to this podcast take a look at Penticton. There's lots of opportunities there. And and what about how does Vernon compare in in to Penticton? Are they as open to to the development community? We haven't specifically worked in Vernon yet, but our impression impression we have some good friends, good partners, uh, business partners that live in Vernon, and uh, we get the impression that Vernon is also easy to work with as a municipality. But just so far, just the way it's turned out, we haven't found the, uh, the land opportunity in Vernon that makes sense to us right now. So in terms, so if I'm understanding correctly, then if, in terms of South Okanagan, it's, it's Penticton is the front runner. That's right. And just thinking about, so because it's a complicated, I feel like where you're going is, is there's so many kind of components to this, right? Like the vertical integration, you, ha- you have the map, but it's, Zoning, municipalities, finding the right piece of land, being able to actually do what Mission Group does in terms of vertical integration. Are there other factors that you're considering here when you're when you're looking to to make a move? Interesting question. So the number one thing we probably ask ourselves is uh, does this project, this community, you know, build into, you know, what you know, we're sort of, we're borrowing uh, Simon Sinek's words here, but a just cause. So I think he, he started using this just cause. What is your just cause as an organization or even as a, as a, as a human? So our just cause, we sum up in with a little tagline, build it forward. You know, what that really means is uh, how does our activity generate this sense of community capitalism? So prosperity for the whole community, including those who would never buy or rent from us. And, um, and we talked about this previously a little bit. But uh, if we're able to move into a community and we know that our activity there enriches the whole community, those that buy or rent from us live better lives, can form 
better memories and contribute more to what the, whatever they do. Hopefully they'll build a lot of wealth as well if they buy from us. And if our product is well put together and well considered, and even the spaces between the buildings and how they spell their, spend their time outside of the building is well considered, it'll build a better, more prosperous community. The whole idea being that, um, that we've contributed well beyond what just that home is and how much profit there may or may not have been mm-hmm. in that one sale. But this, this sort of sense of altruism, I think eventually comes back to everybody, but to us as well, because we're part of everybody. So what better place is there to do business than a community that is more prosperous? So we continue to add to that. Our mentality is never, you know, keep secrets from competitors, you know, regularly. In fact, later on this week, I'm having lunch again with a local, uh, call it competitor, a condo developer, who regularly has some questions. We're maybe a few steps ahead of them, and I'm happy to tell them what we know. Because uh, part of Build It Forward is making sure other people are blessed mm-hmm. uh, because of what we do, uh, even if they're competitors. And uh, and that, once again, builds a better community and, uh, and then becomes a more prosperous, you know, epicenter of real estate activity, if you want to call it that, for us to do business in. Yeah, one thing that uh, I've been thinking a lot of lately is how, in terms of the home builders or developers that we have on the show, like... At the end of the day, and it, that 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 was much more comprehensive than this this point. But there's a gut check. You have to be excited about the project, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not just uh, put it in the spreadsheet type thing. And yeah, this makes sense. You you actually have to be excited about the community, what the project's going to add to the community, and because these are that's right. these are big projects. It's got to be. It's got to build into that just cause, and that's the that's the filter. Um, you know, of course, all the other regular business parameters apply. Um, you know, we can't do a project that doesn't make financial sense. Once again, if it doesn't work, it doesn't get built. You know, and, yeah. And it doesn't serve our just cause. Maybe uh, switching gears again, John, uh, sure. moving to uh, some uh, bringing out your crystal ball. Any thoughts on what the balance uh, Q4 looks like in the market? And um, I obviously we're dealing in Kelowna, which is coming off of right now, uh, devastating forest fires. So it's a, a little bit different than maybe other parts of the province, but thoughts on the balance of the year and then 2024 in the market? Yeah, we think the balance of the year will be you know, pretty, pretty level, pretty stable, once again, with uh, pockets of success. But uh, we were talking just before the show about the fact that uh, Bank of Canada did not raise its interest rates. Right. That's a good signal. And we expect that sometime next year, those interest rates should start tailing off. We all know that the uh, core interest rate, if you ignore the effect of interest, is already just above 2%. And Bank of Canada certainly knows that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they want to make sure this, this inflation thing is really dead. But once they're uh, more convinced of that, they'll start to trickle that interest rate down, back down. In the meantime, supply has been cut back. Many projects all across British Columbia have been put on hold. I wouldn't say they've been canceled, but they've been put on hold uh, just because the market was taking a break. But when the market comes back, uh, those projects will spool up, but the product won't be immediately available. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're seeing that in 2004, uh, there's going to be, uh, that. that's when when all of those people start jumping into the pool. So some demand shock on on route. I feel like this is the story of Vancouver, but but larger British Columbia, right? It's like every the the projects, and and it looks like I just saw a graph with the number of pro- starts. It's just on its way down again. And when that demand comes back, it comes back strong, and that's the challenge. 
And suddenly, you know, we will have uh, situations where there's a listing that comes on and and on the first day there's 20 offers, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's not necessarily healthy either. But uh, now's an opportunity if uh, if folks can have a little bit of faith in where things are about to go. And I think, especially for your investors, they should take a close look of just the realities of supply and demand, where demand so profoundly outweighs supply. And there's no opportunity for industry to ever supply that number of homes. British Columbia is an amazing place to live. And inside BC, Kelowna is an amazing jewel. And so being able to access the market where you're not competing with 20 other people is is a short window. I think it'll go on through part of next year, but it won't last long. John, we have this segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions we end every show with. Can you stick around for that? Sure. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, so question number one is, what is one book you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners? So uh, my wife and I are uh, right now reading a book called The Evening and the Morning by Ken Follett. And uh, we've gotten into these historical novels. They're big, huge, long pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one I read probably 15 years ago was called The Pillars of the Earth, about the building of a cathedral in the Middle Ages. Uh, and uh, Ken Follett, uh, I mean, he's so good at these these historical pieces. They're based on actual historical events and the way things really were. Right. And so it's just fascinating to kind of step back in time and, uh, you know, live through the protagonists, which are always builders. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my connection. You know, see so these, uh, these uneducated geniuses that, uh, that can figure things out, uh, you know, how to build a house, how to build a brew house, how to build a cathedral. You know, that's just kind of how mine works. A curious, I have a curious mind and, and to be able to sort of relive history through Ken Follett's imagination with these historical novels has been fascinating for us. Oh, fantastic. That's a good one. Uh, in the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? So I have uh, developed um, a habit of waking up very early, uh, usually before five o'clock. And um, I read one short passage out of the Bible and meditate on that. And I think that sort of helps me center the day. It helps me become uh, ever so slightly a better person in how I interact with others. It might be a frustrating day or some calamity might befall you don't don't really know. But having that little bit of centering has uh, has helped me immensely. Wow, it's a great one. Yeah, no kidding. Question number three, what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie <laughs> recommendation? Like this is, this is, that's a little jarring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so uh, recently we've uh, not been binge watching everything. We've tried to become addicted to something, but we haven't really fallen on anything. Right. But I will say, I particularly, my wife not so much, have been enjoying all forms of two-wheel racing. Like right now, the Vuelta España is on. It's a bicycle race, a stage race across Europe. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm completely addicted to motorcycle racing, which also happens to be one of my hobbies. But, um, you know, MotoGP, if anybody listening to this knows how to access a MotoGP race, watch the, the, the Catalonia Grand Prix that just happened. There's so much drama that I don't think I've ever seen a crazier first lap. 
in MotoGP, but it was uh, astonishing and uh, extremely entertaining. So the you know the moment I get home, I, I watch uh, lots of podcasts and analysis on MotoGP and bicycle racing. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's unique too. Favorite band or music, and and maybe as a follow up. Growing up, uh, my assumption is you listen to some Japanese yeah. music. Do you still are you still following along or? Um, I have a, a couple of uh, bands that I listen to that are Japanese. I don't listen to them just because they're Japanese. But the the one I'm really into right now is Corey Wong. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Corey Wong? No. So he's uh, a half Chinese American who uh, I think he's a guitar virtuoso, but he doesn't make it about him playing. He's a rhythm guitarist, not doesn't have lead or solo. And, um, and he's really highly steeped in uh, jazz tradition, but it's almost like a jazz funk fusion kind of a style. Huh. Um, so go, go on YouTube and check out Corey Wong. Uh, and he's always collaborating with various artists. He's usually has a horn section that's as good as Earth, Wind, and Fire. And uh, really, really creative, fast, punchy, positive, you know, jazz funk kind of style. Nice. Wow. And last but not least, something that you have purchased for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact on your life in the last few years? A purse for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. That's that a quick was, answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, John, th thanks so much again. And how can people find out more about what you're doing over at Mission Group? Yeah. And of course, Alma on Abbott, if people are interested. Sure. If you go to missiongroup.ca, you'll see our website and everything should be self-explanatory from there. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for taking the time. And of course, Pleasure. coming down to Kokomo Studios. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with CEO of Mission Group in Kelowna, John Friesen. Really loved having John on the show. We've got a ton of people, agents and, and uh, civilians, us in, in, civvies, <laughs> in, in Kelowna that listen to the show. So shout out to uh, all of our friends in Kelowna. Man, I love Kelowna. So many good agents working in that market. So many good developers working in that market. And yeah, of course, uh, we've got a little bit of distance from the fires, but you know, most of the people we've checked in and are, are doing well. And we're happy to see that, but, uh, still thinking about Kelowna and West Kelowna specifically, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was a great conversation. I feel like it was, you know, John was saying, well, I'm coming to Vancouver, let's do it in person. And I'm glad we did because that was, I feel like we got more out of that conversation than we would have over the phone or a zoom, uh, call as you always do. So great having John in the studio. Uh, what else do we have, Adam, before we head out for the day? Well, Matt, we've got, of course, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can sign up for things like the Livewire. This is the, the Livewire. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the Livewire. First of all, it's a weekly mailer. You get stats, different types of stats, sales ratios and specific sub areas. You get deal of the month. You can donate to Jaden Lee's run. Yes. There's, there's, there's a million different reasons to be on the live wire. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Of course, we have tried and true PCS. Private client services. Yeah, and if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Click buy with us. You can set up your own PCS account. This is the best way to monitor the market right now. You get sold prices and that's the key, right? You see what stuff is selling for. 
I love this. We use it for our clients to help them buy. And it's uh, everybody, the feedback about this research tool is, is top notch. Well, you get sold prices, you get the history of the, the property, you get days on market, you get data on the neighborhoods now. Like they're yeah. just updating. I mean, it's, it's nice that it's a competitive environment because these guys are just going, every time I log in, I'm like, oh, this is a cool feature. This is new. Yeah. This is new. So, so that's great. Uh, that's buy with us at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And one thing we should say, an underutilized feature of PCS is when you're a seller, right? Because you can actually set up an account, do a map search, say like five kilometers around your house or your condo, and it's going to show you... Or even five blocks. Five blocks or the same block, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like a learn what your neighbors are selling for type tool. Happy to set that up for people as well. So just feel free to reach out. And Matt, how can people get in touch? You can get in touch at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. I want to mention one other thing quickly before we get to the nonpartisan line. This is something that we're doing for people that donate $20 or more for Jaden is uh, you will be getting a VREP shirt in the mail Worn by people like Simon Bray. And that guy, I mean, Simon Bray, of course, is the president of REW. Could wear any shirt he wants. Can wear any shirt he wants. He wear an REW shirt. Yeah. He's choosing to wear a Vancouver real estate podcast just because of the fit. REW shirt, pretty good too. He could but, have, uh, he could be wearing just a whole closet of cashmere shirts and he's choosing, chosen to wear a V-Rep shirt. Yeah, exactly. And on, that, on and comfort alone. Exactly. So if you'd like a shirt... We have a stock of them and we're just, we're, we're subsidizing the donations to Jane Lee. The best cashmere shirt you can get for 20 bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks or more uh, to uh, underscore J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E -E -E on Instagram. That's where you can get the easiest link to uh, donate. And uh, we also got that Kokomo line info yeah. at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, of course. Yeah, so feel free to reach out. We've got some amazing episodes coming up in the coming weeks. And one of one thing that's super exciting who built Yale Town? Some would argue Larry Beasley. And uh, who's and on the show in the coming weeks? And he's back. Some would argue Larry Beasley. Yes. Yeah, so Larry Beasley, uh, obviously, uh, most people will know Larry Beasley. So popular in Vancouver, a building's named after him. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's super exciting. And we have him on the program. Great conversation. And other fantastic guests coming. Jason Turcott, who for many years was with Cressy. And now he's with uh, Darwin Properties, which is super exciting on the North Shore um, so yeah, so many great episodes and, uh, yeah, have a great week guys. And we'll see you back and smash that subscribe button <laughs> and leave a nice review. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. 2000 Faces for radio. Subscribe today.